I'm Raven, and this is Insight on the Side. Today, I'm reflecting on a controversial statement regarding racism from visual artist Kara Walker. In this episode, I answer the questions, what do we love about racism? And who would we be without it? Let's dig in. I want to start with the quote from Kara Walker, which I read in last week's Black Beauty Highlight. And the quote is, I think really the whole problem with racism and its continuing legacy in this country is that we simply love it. Who would we be without the struggle? I wanted to do an insight on the side about this quote because when I first read it, I had the response that Kara Walker (laughs) intends for people to have when it comes to her artwork, which is, I felt really repulsed and disgusted by the country loving racism and its continued legacy. And to think that it's impacted so deeply the type of people that we are as human beings, as a society, individually, it's definitely impacted us on every level especially here in the United States. It was hard for me to not have this immediate rejection. Like, we do not love racism. We live with it and we talk about it. And we would like to have identities that were not so heavily impacted by racism, but this is what we've got. So to some extent, we embrace it. On second thought, though, I considered how this quote might be true. And I'm going to progress through this episode answering four different questions. This is just the way I went about examining Kara Walker's quote. My first question is, what do I love about racism? I don't like this question. (laughs) I'm internally gagging throughout this episode. Just know that. (laughs) I think what I appreciate most is what it says about other people. When people share their prejudiced views or treat other people like shit, It says a lot more about them than the people that they are mistreating. And of course, this can be applied to various forms of prejudice and bigotry. And that's not to say we're not impacted when people treat us badly and that the way we respond says something about us. I'm not ignoring that. I'm just saying when the way you go about interactions with people you don't know, but who are very different from you is You mistreat them out of the gate. You mistrust them and throw them under the bus at every turn. And you don't welcome them into your friendships, families, communities. That says a lot more about you. Obviously, as humans, a lot of the prejudgments that we have about other people comes from stereotypes, the way that we were raised and the experiences that we've had. And unfortunately, that leads us into generalizing. I have done it. You have done it. Everybody has done this. However, this is a behavior that we all need to examine within ourselves and come up with new ways to decipher who's trustworthy and who's not instead of just saying, okay, well, they belong to this group. They're queer. So no, that's a man. They're a woman. You can't trust a woman. That's a disabled person. They can't do this. We need to stop doing that. Regarding what I love about the continued legacy of racism in this country, we've talked about it before on this podcast, but I do love how we've thrived in spite of it, how we as Black people, 
black and brown people, non-white people, have thrived in spite of racism, racist tropes, and hate crimes. I love to see how we found ways to push forward against all the ways in which people have tried to hold us back and still try to hold us back. I also appreciate that the longer people try to hide from what is being done to us today as a result of racism, and they try to bury what their ancestors did, they only keep adding to the reasons and evidence that they need to confront their hypocrisy, fragility, and entitlement. You cannot continue to live in this country and talk out of one side of your mouth about freedom and your freedoms while taking freedoms away from other people and justifying that as an extension of your freedoms. Part of your religious freedom is mistreating other people. Absolutely not. Entitlement is a part of hypocrisy, where you think you have rights and freedoms that other people who live in this country, (laughs) some of these people's ancestors were here before your ancestors ever were, and yet You think you have more entitlement to rights and privileges and employment, land, education. It's a bunch of bullshit. But the longer people let the legacy of racism go unchallenged, unconfronted, let it go without dismantling it, it just continues to build this case against them. My second question is, what do we as U.S. citizens love about racism? First, this will not be any surprise to anybody. We are very skilled here in the United States at distilling whatever we can down to its entertainment value. We love the entertainment value of pain and suffering. To some extent, we've become desensitized to it, and I don't think that happened recently. I think that happened a very, very, very long time ago. We have a disgusting fascination with making a spectacle of people's differences. And this could be racial differences, differences regarding disability, queer identity, body shape, body type, whatever. I mean, we have done this forever. Think about what circuses used to be and human zoos, (laughs) even some of the punishments that have been inflicted upon slaves and servants throughout history. We love the entertainment value of racism is something that Kara Walker has talked about and is something that she works to help us confront in her artwork. If you didn't listen to my Black Beauty highlight, definitely go listen to it and you can look her up on YouTube. She is still alive and she talks about this. So I find that very fascinating. Think of something like the popularity of true crime right now. I know I'm going to make a lot of people mad. saying that. I think this is a disturbing fascination that we have as people who do not work in criminology and law enforcement and related fields. We are so fascinated with knowing the details of a crime scene and listening to people's 911 calls. I mean, I just can't even believe it. I have a visceral reaction to stuff like that. Whenever I see it on YouTube, not the videos, but you know, it comes up in recommendations sometimes because like I watch horror. A lot of the stuff I watch is fiction horror. So then YouTube is like, oh, yeah, you're going to like true crime. 
because you like horror fiction. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. But then I see these titles about these 911 calls and the murder of this person and the top 20 disturbing cases of 2023. And I'm just like, what is wrong with us? It is one thing to educate yourself about the different things that can go wrong in society. I think that we should be aware and not pretend like bad things don't happen. Bad things don't happen near us. Bad things won't happen to us. I mean, especially since a lot of people are victimized by people that they know. So I'm not saying that we need to be naive and just ignore the fact that these crimes are happening. But these compilation videos of three hours of the top 25 disturbing cases of 2022, I find it disgusting. And people have these true crime podcasts. And I'm not going to say that the podcasters who put them together enjoy doing it. I do think to some extent you have to. But I even think when we do research for this podcast, some of the topics that we've covered, we stumble upon facts and stories that are disheartening, disappointing, scary to think about. We even talk about statistics and just looking at those numbers. It's like these numbers are people's stories. We want to talk about it because these facts are not known and these stories don't get told. With true crime, some of that is true, too. But the amount of detail that these people go into is disgusting. And you do not need to do that. I don't know. Somebody might say I'm being really fucking sensitive and I am wanting to sweep information under the rug. That's not what I want to do. Obviously, if these true crime podcasters and YouTubers are able to find this information, the rest of us can, too. The way that I think about true crime is probably not so popular, considering how popular these channels and podcasts are. But I brought all of that up just to say I think this is a similar fascination that people have with racism and all of the different ways it has touched and continues to touch society. The second thing we love about racism is we have a deep appreciation for elitism of all kinds. It is at the root of how this country got its beginnings. I'm not saying this isn't the case in other countries, especially those countries from which the founding fathers and their ancestors originated. But I can speak to how we are here in the U.S. because that's what I know. I do think racism is one of the easiest ways to perpetuate a sense of entitlement and, as a result, a scarcity mindset. This was one of the tools used to justify. It's still used to justify this today. Clearing people off of their own land so that settlers could take it for themselves, distribute it and sell it amongst each other, and then own people and their labor to exploit, distribute, and sell. It's also been used, and still is, to keep people out of certain spaces, jurisdictions, and land boundaries of all kinds, and mistreat people who violate these geopolitical and sociopolitical boundaries. Like most, if not all, other forms of elitism, this creates a false sense of a path to elevation. If we think enough, act enough, behave enough, speak enough and live enough, like a certain group of people, we don't have to deal with certain types of discrimination or we don't have to deal with as much of it. Or if we adopt the prejudice and bigotry that other people display toward us and we project and apply it toward another group of people that we label as outsiders, 
then we can be elevated in that way. You see this all over the place. I see it in the queer community. There's transphobia in the queer community, biphobia, misogyny. There is, in the Black community, anti-immigration groups. Homophobia in the Black community, misogyny in the Black community. You got all of it in the disabled communities. Lots of elitism there. We do love elitism in this country, probably all over the world. We want to feel better than other people to whatever extent we can. So sometimes that means aligning ourselves with the very people who hate us or people like us. We want to be one of the good ones, one of the blind people who act normally, the black person that doesn't act black, a woman who's one of the guys. People play into that nonsense all the time. Or we want to think that if I can't rise above the white person in the socio-political hierarchy, I can rise above those women over there, the queer person, the disabled person, Hispanic people, those black people over there, whatever. This is why we want to pretend racism doesn't exist and perpetuate it at the same time. I will even say it's why some men who are non-white still rather align themselves with the very people who perpetuate the system that works against them, works against non-white people. They'd rather align themselves with those men than align themselves with women who are from their communities or people of all genders from their communities of origin. Men can unite over male privilege. That just gives us, though, more men in white and non-white communities perpetuating male entitlement and layering racism on top of all the other forms of bigotry, because in order to align yourselves with these white men, uh, you are aligning yourselves with their elitist thinking. We hear it all the time about these people who will talk so much trash about gay people, and then you hear about how they're having some extramarital affair with the same sex. <laughs> you can't even make it up. So you get the same when it comes to racial prejudice and bigotry. My third question is, who would we as Black people be without the struggle? I'm not convinced that it's always been this way. I think that at a certain point in history, we were racialized. A big part of our identity became battling stereotypes, owning stereotypes, pandering to white people or non-black people, unifying against all white people and sometimes non-black people, proving ourselves not to be what outsiders say we are, what they think we are, and unifying to help our families and communities heal from the damage and abuse inflicted upon us. That's really hard to think about how much of our lives that consumes. And it's also a struggle for me because I think about the black people who do not give a fuck. The black people who other people judge because they're acting ghetto or they don't go to college or they don't dress a certain way. And you are judging these people essentially for, you could say, living certain stereotypes, but also not giving a damn for not caring about what white people think about them. Because surely it doesn't happen enough that white people care what we think about them. There are some. I'm going to get to them. But I think... Black people who are elitist, they perpetuate that racialization should be a part of our identity 
or we should work to reject our blackness somehow. And even what blackness is in their eyes is different from what blackness is in the eyes of these people that they're judging. This is really hard to unpack. (laughs) So I think either you need to make it your identity to care about what white people say and to assimilate into what they want and what they think is best, or otherwise we are boiled down to a bunch of stereotypes as black people. And that's pretty much all you can see when you look at us elitist people. You can only see the stereotypes that we live and not the humans that we are. Without this particular struggle, we would simply be left with the other forms of discrimination to contend with. This is why there are gender abolitionists and acceptance movements for various identities and communities. People know that while racism is a huge issue, it is not the only form of elitism and prejudice that needs to be taken down. So I do think we'd be just as unified and fragmented as we are now, just for different reasons. My last question is, who would we as U.S. citizens be without the struggle? Here, I want to focus on the struggle with the legacy of racism. The interesting thing about the fight for equality and equity is that way more white people are starting to experience what it's like to be racialized. They used to not have to think about it. What mattered was, okay, I'm not black. I'm not Indian. I'm not Asian. Uh, We even used to boil it down to what European country you're from. And in some areas of this country, that still matters. In other areas, it does not. But I do think a lot more white people are thinking about what whiteness means and what other people, what non-white people think of them when they see their white skin. They don't like this at all. There is a great discomfort with having to consider what non-white people think about white people. What it's like to be looked down upon, not accepted in certain spaces, being judged as unaware, being viewed as inherently elitist, inherently racist, and viewed as entitled to behave and speak and express all their prejudice and bigotry without consequence. A lot of white people are incredibly resistant to having to think about what someone else might think about them because they have white skin. So some of them are starting to feel the pain and discomfort that folks of other races and ethnicities have felt for centuries. We have always had to think about what is somebody going to think when I walk in here as a black person, as a black woman. It's something I have to think about still as a disabled person. I walk up to a counter and I think, okay, the person standing right there might ignore me because I'm not able to make the level of eye contact or any eye contact that other people would. This is something I still have to think about. So it's making white people uncomfortable that they have to think about themselves in this way that used to not be the case or used to not be so much the case. They could walk in anywhere and carry their entitlement and elitism with them and not be mistreated or rejected for it, not have consequences as a result. And now that's not so much the case. Some people may think this is not a step in the right direction. 
I think it is. In order for us to be anything close to equal, white people need to realize that they are just as deserving of judgment and consequence and no more undeserving of mistreatment than anybody else. The difficulty is that there are white people fighting for special treatment. They want the special treatment that has become a normal to them, the standard to them. They don't want that to discontinue. They want to protect themselves from hearing about and seeing and reading about racial discrimination or any kind of discrimination for that matter. The less they have to hear about it, the less they are racialized and the less they have to confront how fucked up and abhorrent this hierarchy is. A lot of people bring up hierarchy and say that it is natural. It has been brought up to argue in support of racism, homophobia, ableism. Keep going. So it seems almost unnatural to some people to be against hierarchy. Hierarchy is all over the place throughout the animal kingdom, but I do not care about what's natural or unnatural in this regard. Everything that's natural isn't good, and everything that's unnatural isn't bad. And I find it unsettling that people will embrace science when it's convenient for the truth they want to live, when it's convenient for the brand of bigotry they want to practice, but reject it as true when they don't understand it. We as humans are capable of rising above the prescriptions and restrictions of natural order. This is one of the many beautiful things about humanity. We've brought it up on several recent episodes, the fact that folks like to believe we are not animals, or we as humans are superior animals, we're better than other animals. But uh, time and time again, we show that we haven't evolved psychologically as much as we think we have. To be better than other animals, I think, is in part, working to dismantle hierarchies of all kinds. That includes the racial hierarchy. We would be better humans and more unified without the struggle of racism and its continued legacy. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can always let us know what you think on social media or email us with any feedback or suggestions at isquared, I-S-Q-U-A-R-E-D, hello at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to Insight on the Side. Thank you.